Good morning, benders and non-benders alike, and welcome to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week, book one, Air, concludes with Skeletons in the Closet and Endgame. Pearl Harbor echoes into Republic City. Amon seizes control. Generals Iroh and Boomy are on the attack, and someone forgot to break up with Asami. All that and more with Matt, Dave, and Devendra. Hello, welcome to Republic City Dispatch. Wow, what a doozy. Book one, officially over. That's it. Kaput. Done. Um, and all tied up, amazingly, uh, as kind of was announced in the beginning. But it's mm-hmm. it's hard to believe that they kind of tied it up all nice-like, and we have no idea what will happen in book two. Um, but I was particularly satisfied, and hopefully my co-hosts were as well, uh, including Devendra Hardawar. Hello, hello. And uh, Dave Seven Gonzalez. Hello. Um, Dave, we have so much to talk about. Why don't we just jump right into a summary first? All right. I tried to abbreviate this as much as possible, so all of the explosions <laughs> have been removed. Uh, the Equalists have taken over Republic City and outlawed bending while Team Avatar Generation 2 hides with Gamu, the uh, homeless guy we met in uh, Episode 1, and his underground hobo paradise. Uh, General Iroh arrives with the United Fleet, only to be ambushed with mines and Hiroshi's new biplanes. So Iroh tells General Boomy to hold back until he can take out the airships. So Bolin, Iroh, Asami, Naga, and Pabu take out the airstrip and Asami's dad as Korra and Mako try to corner him on, but end up happening across Tarlock, who reveals the entire backstory about his brother Noatok becoming a Mon as a bloodbender as Yukon's children. Uh, Korra tries to reveal Amon's true nature to rally, but is surprised to find Amon has captured the Air family. So Korra and Mako have to free the Airbenders, but Amon takes Korra's bending and defeats the lieutenant. And just as Amon is about to take Mako's bending, Korra airbends out of nowhere and pushes Amon into the bay where he's revealed as a not-scarred waterbender to the public. So Amon escapes in shame with Tarlock, only to have Tarlock sort of end it all in one of the greatest uh, Nickelodeon moments of all time. <laughs> and uh, This side of the Rocco's Modern Life finale. Uh, indeed. And uh, when Katara can't heal Korra, uh, she's at her lowest point and is finally open to reaching the Avatar state and Aang and restoring both her own and Lin's bending. Oh, wow. Um, so much of the juicy stuff really happens in the second episode, Endgame. But why don't we first start with talking about some of the stuff we liked, didn't like about uh, skeletons in the closet. Devendra, I'm throwing it to you. Sure. Um, I-, I guess, like, we've complained about when episodes just go full-on plot with us. So when Tarlock is going in the background and giving us the full story about his, uh, you know, his very powerful brother, um, I-, I actually got to be a little worried there. But the good thing is that story was interesting. And it kind of made sense, given what we know about Amon. And it's interesting, too, because we always suspected Tarlock of being involved somehow. So, you know, I- I- has any of us, do we come up with a that sort of theory? that the brothers? Amon, yeah, that they're brothers. I don't think I don't think we settled on yeah. Amon simply being a bloodbender with enhanced yeah. capabilities. And that, that is the most that's the simplest conclusion, right? After seeing what Tarlock could do. Oh, and, uh, Occam's yeah, Razor. Exactly, exactly. So we were going, you know, a kind of kind of complex with our explanations. I'm glad that Amon's actual history makes sense, and that uh, he's actually even more sympathetic when you learn about his backstory. Although we don't quite know what he was trying to do with this whole movement, right? I think he was just sent off the deep end by his dad, like emotional abuse that, and then he ended up, you know, would the world be better off without benders? (laughs) I I would probably think that if my dad was a psychopath, like (laughs) former mob boss faced off into, uh, 
his a second life where he's training his kids to seek revenge. You know, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. all pretty screwed up, and I, I can settle for that explanation. You know, the reveal of Amon was going to go one of two ways. When he takes off his mask, it's either going to be someone we knew, and mm-hmm. sorry, people who thought Boomy was Amon. I just I never thought that was going to happen because it's too cheap. It's too cheap to have like, oh, remember me? I'm this old character. <laughs> well, um, I mean, or the young that is that movie. is sort of how he shows up anyway. But, but never mind. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. It's not like that. It's a different Boomy, but you know. Oh well. Oh, I'm not talking about Boomy here. I'm talking about Amon. The Amon reveal. I'm glad it wasn't a um, old character or something. Which yeah. means it has to be established within this show, and it's no one we've known before, um, which I think is good too. And that's why I was happy to have this um, Tarlock backstory. Which, yeah, like you said, Devendra, it could have been a little sloppy. You know, having this voiceover. Just I'm going to tell you the story of how it all yeah. happened. Um, but it was elegantly done, and I think partially because the performances were so good. I realized, and I said this on the Tumblr. Uh, yesterday that um, it only dawned on me that Yacon's voice was uh, Clancy Brown. Oh, yeah. Um, who voices one of my favorite cartoon villains of all time, Lex Luthor, on the <laughs> Superman animated show. And he has such he has a, a great, great voice. Yeah, yeah. Such a grumbly great voice, and he's uh-huh. so intimidating. And to see these kids, like, water bending and blood bending in the middle of the night is a terrifying prospect uh-huh. and totally establishes Amon or uh, Noah Tuck very quickly. And I mm-hmm. thought it was expertly done. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't Scooby-Doo us. That would have been bad. <laughs> yes, I agree. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, the, the, I like the flashback because it was so self-contained and just because mm-hmm. it was so sad. It's like at no point does Tarlock try to apologize for anything, but it's interesting how it twists both him and Amon into sympathetic figures through this. Right. Like you get to see them being little kids. I'm still, mm-hmm. I still think that the first time uh, the youngest Amon talks and it's Zach Tyler Eisen, the guy who played the voice of Aang. I'm almost, I, I swear it sounds like him. But point being, you see him as little kids, and you get to see this horrible thing that happens to them. And it's nice because I thought that, you know, Amon was going to be a sympathetic, you know, person. But it turns out that Tarlock came full circle, which is actually interesting to me because Tarlock is the one, up until this episode, Amon's only really attacked, you know, sort of very large, visible benders. And Tarlock's the one who's, you know, sort of been menacing the citizenry. So it was interesting Hmm. that that was the character they chose to bring all the way back. It's like they made him the most evil they could make him. And then brought him all the way back for it. And the great the thing is, where, yeah. he wasn't warring against Amon because it was his brother. I think that's a really important fact. Like, he ju- mm-hmm. is just as angry as Amon because of his dad and because how he's, he was raised. But because he has this, like, noble filter, he was doing it in a positive, quote-unquote, way. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's really interesting. I think the line is, yeah, he was still shaped by his father's ghost. And Amon was, too. I mean, he, you know, was supposed to be this supposedly there to make everybody equal and thinking that bending is the root of all evil but in the end he did what his father wanted him to do which is to take back Republic City for the family and so I really enjoy that they use that uh, theme and that that theme was capable of echoing back over episodes and not you know falling apart somewhere. Dave, when I saw you last night, it, this scene sparked an absurd conversation on um, how genetically bending is past between um, benders and, and their and their children, and if removing your bending means you can have bending children. Um, but because I think I'll end up bringing this back uh, when we start talking about Endgame, I just wanted to just 
to bring this up and say that um, I made a weird comparison last night, which was if you get your bending taken away, it's almost I, I think about amputees in war. This is going to get really deep. Um, but that, that, you know, if a guy loses his legs in a war, he can still have kids that have legs. And I think that's how bending is. If mm-hmm. you get your bending taken away, you know, this it's now we know that it's through blood bending or something. So really, he's just all clogged up. Um, but he can still give birth to bending people. So I, I've seen a few people mention that kind of lapse in logic. But I think it's all kind of pretty much established. You, were, Dave, was very afraid of a midi chlorian situation. Well, yeah. I mean, I think we don't have a midi chlorian situation. I think I the, think they were ben- wise to avoid that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Bending being taken away is actually more of a block and not so much as something being removed from you because, like, that's how Cora could have three elements taken away but could still learn air bending because uh-huh. she learned it pre-block so post-block sorry so it's it it was good Uh, as i was watching the episode live the first time i was like please don't mess with the rules of bending to the point where like the only thing i could narrow it down (laughs) to is there's like something in your blood like please don't do that and they didn't go that far uh they left how you could block people's bending through blood bending kind of vague but I think that if there is a question that we've been left unanswered, it's, you know, what happened to Amon in those, you know, 30, 40 years he was wandering the earth. Uh, Comic book spinoff waiting to happen. Yes. (laughs) I will love it. I will love wandering Amon. And he'll probably happen across all the people that we didn't get to see here, (laughs) like Tylee and what have you. Yeah. That sounds like actually a good subject for like a side series almost Mm. or something like happening online or in a comic form. Because that is an interesting story. Well, I think the the world of Korra, especially at the pace thing people have been moving, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, we keep going back to Star Wars as a reference point. I think because <laughs> the mythology of this world and the mythology of that world are so expansive um, well, to really allow similar, you to play within them in various mediums. Yeah, very similar types of stories. I am actually surprised we didn't get a "it's a trap" at the beginning because come on. <laughs> I oh uh, there's a line that it's almost it's a trap yeah, but yeah, it's, it's like, like it's a setup or it's it's, a, a, it's an ambush it's an ambush right yeah. yes yes well speaking of that can we talk about this amazing dog fight that we see at the beginning of skeletons in the closet because that was <laughs> something to behold in my opinion yeah I mean first of all bonus points to whoever pointed out on the blog uh, like a while ago I think in like the revelation or one of the first four episodes we got to see some blueprints equalist blueprints on a wall and it showed three different inventions uh the glove the mech tank and something that we didn't know what it was yet and hello biplane uh (laughs) it's been planned since the beginning it's so pleasurable to see it and i think it's fantastic they're able to do with it without blowing the universe too out of proportion like if you give them guns a lot of things change so it's like kind of avoid giving them guns but giving them biplanes you know i thought might be uh one step too far like at some point someone's going to develop the super weapon uh Mm -hmm. but biplanes thankfully wasn't it it ended up being you know pretty balanced because yeah the republic the, the the fleet the united's fleet was sort of taken off balance but like cora looping a torpedo through the water and then up into the air to like hit a biplane and uh general iroh just like getting to the top of his eagle's nest and just going full out on all these different biplanes was Uh, amazing i just thought it was one of the best directed sequences in the whole show in the whole Mm -hmm. uh episode run and you know i i don't think we praise uh i i don't know if i'm pronouncing his name right joaquim dos santos and uh, Ki Hayun Ryu, who direct the episodes. And I think Joaquim is big on the 
that big action stuff. I might mm-hmm. be incorrect there, but um, just just the way the shots of this sequence. I, I thought about um, Red Tails, the George Lucas produced movie that I saw earlier this <laughs> year that no one else saw really. Yeah, um, liked, unfortunately, so. there wasn't much to love, but there was love for the the dog fights and these World War II dog fights and. Even though this has a kind of World War One aesthetic, I kept thinking about those just big kind of Pearl Harbor-esque, yeah, you know, yeah. not to you know, Michael Bay it up, but yeah. um, they were just expertly concocted. Mm-hmm. And to, yeah, how Korra is interacting with the planes and the attack from down below is just awesome. Yeah, they, they definitely have an eye for the large-scale action, which I appreciate. But uh, yeah, speaking of Pearl Harbor, did you guys get shades of that too amidst this whole dogfight? Like the surprise biplane attack? The bombs going down. Sure. It felt it felt like a Pearl Harbor attack. Well, especially when you have planes in the air that are that have these kind of like Japanese yeah. symbol symbolism yeah. sort of thing. And you also have the turrets on the, the <laughs> yeah. United ships, which I don't really get because I mean I don't want to geek out. They're for the fire bending power. That's what I assumed. Well, yeah, yeah, no, they like push the fire bending through the barrel, but the uh-huh. whole point of having a barrel is so you could rifle the ammunition rounds. So I'm not sure why they're doing that in the first place, but that's fine. <laughs> I understand, you know, for visuals, it needs to be there. That was interesting. <laughs> yeah, I love how every time a plane exploded, there was a little pilot with the that. somewhere off in the background. <laughs> it got to be pretty distracting by the end. No it's one like, could oh, die. Yeah, yeah during no the second air, during yeah. the second air battle, there's a there's a point where General <laughs> Iroh throws someone out of the plane, yeah. and just it's almost like it was added later in parachute. the background. Oh, parachute. Oh, he's fine. He's fine, guys. Don't worry. No one dies. No one dies here. That someone brought up on our talkback thread that I know Mad Patches would love. Oh. In the bloodbending sequence, wolves. Bears, wolves. <laughs> there are two plain, plain, normal, everyday strains of animals. <laughs> I love that they, you know, they've kind of gotten away of the mixed animals here, mostly because we're just in Republic City and we haven't traveled the world to see all the different kind of crazy animals that they can come up with. Um, but it's also part of the show's maturity don't you think just like yeah. let's just have wolves and let's just have bears and that sort of well, thing yeah i mean and there i mean the bear i think was a joke the wolves here i think it's like it wouldn't have been terrifying if it was like some gleefully made animal hybrid rabbit wolves yeah, yeah exactly like, oh look at those cute little rabbit oh 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 they're all being blood bent angriest wolves since beauty and the beast i'm just gonna say it <laughs> did they have like? Oh yeah, I guess they did have ridiculous angry yeah. wolves. Yeah, they, they gray, bit the beast know. when he was protecting Belle. The gray, the wolves there weren't too happy either. No, that's, that's true. I guess they were technically cartoons as well, <laughs> CG wolves. Uh, why, why do we move on to talk about Endgame, which is obviously the meteor of the two? Although props to skeletons in the closet for some crazy action and i know dave's been anxiously awaiting that episode because of uh dante brosco and what that could eventually bring to the show but i was so happy that he got to like do stuff because i thought he would be mr exposition because i thought he'd be playing zuko so it was nice that tarlock got to be mixed mr exposition (laughs) (laughs) although i don't know if i think dante's voice really fits the um general iroh character I, i thought like he would have, like, I don't know, tried to age it up a little, but no. It's just pretty much exactly Zuko's voice. But it also helps because they never really call him Zuko's grandson. But right. we know he is because of the voice. And I understand why they had they did it. They don't well, waste time. Did, would it, is it just because we aren't used to hearing that voice be decisive? It, it, he looks like a much He's older, older yeah. Yeah, he looks like late 20s, pretty much. Or he's, like, kind of muscular. He has a strong jawline. Kind of reminds me of Superman in a way, hmm. but uh, the character itself, I was telling uh, Matt this, 
I definitely got Roy Mustang vibes from Full Metal Alchemist 2, and that character has a great distinctive kind of deep voice. So it's, in many ways, this the high-pitched voice just didn't work for me. Awesome. Well, I, I, the other thing I wanted to mention as we transition into the second episode here is I love all the music, and I'm a music junkie, um, that the track team kind of whipped up for this episode, mm-hmm. whereas uh, the previous, the, what is it, Turning the Tides? Uh, yeah. yeah. That episode had a lot of subtle moments, quiet moments, um, especially ones that you'd expect to go big. And here they just kind of knock it out of the park with some epic tunes. But I saw that um, Devendra on Twitter during the dur- during the episodes, you mm-hmm. reacted comparing the music to X-Men. The oh, old there, school there's 90s. that great, it's the notes like da-da-da-da-da. Yes. That, that it does a couple of times. It's like, it's X-Men. That's the X-Men theme. <laughs> Come on, guys. Now I'm really curious what uh, cartoons those Jeremy and... Uh, <laughs> Ben were Ben were listening to when they grew up, but uh, I, I definitely heard some X Men, and that again, like that's a great action show, that's a great adventure mm-hmm. show, and I think this the music really helps to build the drama in these I, two I episodes. I definitely like of the things that show. Like looking at it now, it has some terrible dialogue and terrible voice acting. Awful, but the big set pieces from that show have been like burned into my mind <laughs> since I've been a kid, and it's definitely cool to see like something like Korra approaching that level. Cool. Um, well, reactions to Endgame. I mean, there's so much to kind of dive into here. Um, why, why don't we start? Does anyone have any likes, dislikes about um, the Bolin side adventure or the Asami? You know, uh, ah, Asami. So shafted time and time again. <laughs> I mean, here's, here's the point that I've gotten to on Asami, which is that, get it, character was fine. Um, I get I, why they... Uh-huh you know shuffled her to a side someone at someone at some point online when in our my discussions said that yeah it makes sense that her and mako don't get together so at the end when she's fighting she's fighting for herself and she's not even getting close to fighting for her boyfriend like fighting her dad for her boyfriend would be cheap which i agree with but that doesn't mean that i felt completely satisfied by what we got out of the character and i'm guess i'm i guess i'm hoping that she's going to be back yeah. Like that, you know, she takes over future industries and becomes a large part of this world and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe tries to undo her, the guilt over her father's evil by making hmm. something good out of herself. Yeah. Another boomerang corp or something. <laughs> I, I definitely see that happening. Like uh, people were saying we owed Asami an apology earlier on. I guess we do. Right. Because she's pretty much she's a good character. She is generally a protagonist. She hasn't done anything bad. We just felt kind of iffy about her because here was this new girl kind of coming into the series when well, this is so, so, supposed to be a chorus series so in a way she felt kind of threatening but she she kind of grew into interesting characters it's a shame they could, that they just had to throw her to the side i guess by the end yeah Aww. i guess i would have liked to have seen her massaged in more mm-hmm. from the beginning and less I guess now it feels like she popped up when she needed to be the central plot figure. Like, every scene Asami gets is a reversal of what she's thinking, which is fine. We just don't have any time to establish the status quo, so therefore I can't be that shocked when that status quo is changed. I don't think so. The last couple episodes have really kind of seen her and Mako's relationship dissolving and her trying to tackle that while facing some of these bigger issues, this (laughs) war she's a part of. I thought yeah, that was. I thought that was she's organic. Been looking re- she's been looking really sad off yeah. in the corner, but <sighs> then like she gets once- a couple scenes, but yeah, everything is way too rushed to really 
what make any of this feel like it's uh, legitimate in a way. Well, do you feel that way about the the romance? You know, at the end of this episode, Mako declares his love. Korra reciprocates. That's been built from like the first episode. So but that, Asami I mean, is so much part of that because she. You know, it's funny. I was what watching. Did she come in like third or fourth? Yeah, I think the third episode. So not till like a quarter of the way through the series. That's the big difference, right? Yeah. But I was watching this episode with my girlfriend who just thought that the romance was kind of sloppy and that, and I think she echoed a lot of people online, which was Asami gets brushed off. No, no end of that relationship. It's just kind of like a kiss of the cheek and you're out of there. Um, and people are angry at Mako for doing that. But I think that is pretty well handled. I, there's a moment when, you know, Asami says, like, she knows what's going on, whether it's... Um, you know, read between the lines kind of thing. But she gives him a kiss and says, mm-hmm. go do your thing. And she totally understands. And she comes to terms with the fact that he's always been in love with Cora and their relationship sparked at a time when that was turbulent. And But now he's coming to realize it through this heroic action the two of them yeah. are experiencing. And she, I think, in an extremely mature way that doesn't have a big, like, crying it's over kind of scene so i don't need that up. yeah exactly what do people want um you uh, don't want that because it's not mature and this show is and all the characters are and asami is a stand-up woman who can yeah. walk away and fight her own battles and this one is over kiss I goodbye love that element of her character too that she was strong enough just to be like okay well clearly i'm not gonna win here and clearly this is all over so let's just move on with our lives i haven't seen the online commentary so i'm kind of i guess i'm surprised that people didn't appreciate the subtlety of that scene um but then she gets another great moment she's just trying to get through this whole battle Mm -hmm. and that's something i can really appreciate and about a lot of the characters too the side characters i think about asami and i think about the lieutenant too and i'll mention this in a second but Mm -hmm. um going through so much and we understand it as human beings um, but we don't need to see it all spelled out. So when we see a moment at the end where Bolin makes a joke, uh, Hiroshi, you, you, you are you a really bad are father. The worst father. Yeah, you're a bad father. And then Asami says it in a really compelling fashion. You know what? You are a bad father. And then kicks his butt. Um, yeah. I th- and then sheds a tear. And I, I read so much into that. And the, it's the way it's skillfully animated and presented. I just think it's this show is surprisingly so much about reading between the lines and, and feeling the the drama within it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't need to see it all spelled out. Exactly. I- exactly. Yeah. And next season, like that relationship between Asami and Korra. And by the way, the voice actress of Asami was the girl who played Yue in the Avatar right. movie, which kind of blows my mind in a way. <laughs> Cause I, I love her voice. It's a very like, strong voice. Good for that character. Yep. She also plays Lords on falling skies currently airing <laughs> TNT. <laughs> I don't watch that show. So, no. <laughs> That's fine. But, it's fine to yeah. be here. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, next season, imagine what that relationship is going to be like. Like, Asami will still respect Korra and still fight for her, but there's going to be this great lingering sort of resentment. And that's just so much beyond what we typically see in a show like this or a show on Nickelodeon. I don't know if there will be resentment. I'll be curious Uh, how that's handled because I don't think she's mad at Mako. I think she's disappointed because she continually loses so much. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of maturity there and she can handle the fact that it was never going to happen and she realizes that. And I don't think it's Korra's fault. I don't think she'll resent her for that. It's sort, I, it's sort of like the Bay, the Beifong and uh, exactly the situation, which and there was a lot of resentment there. So I don't know. It is interesting to see how that's going to play out. I, I I think they can't avoid you know showing that up somehow. 
I really liked how at the end of Endgame, there was this sort of idea that I'd watched 10 episodes about the, um, you know, the sins of the past wreaking havoc on the future. Mm-hmm. And which I, I think when I talked to Patches last night, I think one of the first things I said was I really liked how this episode contextualized the entire season where it's like, hey, look, there is this really evil guy who basically destroyed the future of his children which is the same thing that happened to Asami which is sort of the same thing that happened to Mako and Bolin it's like very young something happened to them that changed their entire fate and it's sort of like wreaking these consequences I'm a little bit more surprised that there wasn't a direct Avatar consequence like something that Aang did affected what it means to be the Avatar and maybe something that Korra did has changed what it means to be the Avatar but Mm -hmm. we'll have to see later but I just like if you're going to keep it a miniseries and you're going to keep it lean and you're going to, you know, only focus on certain things, I like that the themes stayed unified throughout, you know, the 10 episodes, even though I didn't know that's what it was about when I was watching it. I do. I think I have some critical thought on that, but I want to uh, chronologically tackle Endgame first and talk right. about um, Amon and just how he his big reveal is handled and this... The sequence where he takes Korra's bending away and just this whole how it's how he's all wrapped up. Did you think that that was handled well? I mean, because of the pace, it's expected to be kind of as as intense and rapid as uh, as it's presented. But what did you guys think of that? Wrapping in, it all up. In hindsight, it was much more tense than or it felt much more tense than it actually was yeah if you go back and you look at it it's like four sequences of like people vibrating while a guy in a mask talks so animation wise it's not the most complex or beautiful thing i've ever seen but it really really works to like quaking mako getting some lightning bending uh and managing to save everything through the power of will this is one of the few times where it's like twice in a row the power of will is used as like a superpower which is usually something i don't necessarily go for in television series (laughs) or movies really where it's like but this person is just too willful (laughs) it it worked for me here uh the mako does one and then cora you know does an airbending kick to against bloodbending yeah which is nice um yeah, it just it's it's one of those weird things where moment to moment I can't say that I was necessarily following it. Like now the lieutenant's here. Oh, now he's gone. I'm not sure why we did that, but it's too late. We're moving but on. But see, I like the lieutenant moment. As I mentioned, I feel like I got so much out of his character mm-hmm. just by the a few lines like I dedicated my life to you. And you can tell he would have because he here's a powerful leader rising in in the face of bending and a guy who's going to be by his side the whole time doing these violent acts and it's like you're this is all false and that really dawns on him in that moment when he takes his mask off like there's a lot of weight to that moment and i'm, I'm, yeah. I'm glad that they can drop bombs like that um and just kind of hit us hard and then lieutenant you're out of here i'm gonna blunt bend you <laughs> into the wall um and his whole life is ruined <laughs> yeah and maybe on. yeah yeah i mean i i just i like how it works on a t- moment to moment tension when because what you're really watching is people pointing their hands at each other and i like that that was able to work and that it built to this huge showdown because up until it happened i assumed we were going to get like a crazy kickboxing fight between Amon and cora but mm-hmm. not how it worked out not yeah. that i was i was totally fine with how it worked out before we realized he was actually a bender you know it's like that kind of changed how we would perceive the final battle 
I don't know, I, I thought the uh, the big reveal where Korra and Mako tried to tried to blow his cover was really well done. Hmm. Although once he took his mask off, it's like, oh, oh okay, you're just a dude with a with sort with of a, a two face face. He was doing exactly. the two face grin in that. Exactly. He was doing the two face grin. So it's it's sort of like that that thing where you know the mystique of a villain or sure. of a character is always more satisfying than you know when they actually take off their mask. But uh, yeah, that whole sequence is great. I love the the lightning bending as always, and I love how we're getting to a point where fire bending is just used for really creative stuff. Like let's just run along the walls and use right. fire bending as like yeah. jet thrusters or to keep yeah, you can now fly with fire bending. Exactly, exactly. I, I love that, and we saw that first with Iroh. But then all of a sudden they realized, uh, Cora and Mako realized they could use it for creative Run on the walls. Too. Yeah, yeah, that was great. And my heart sank when Tenzin and co. kind of came out from the floor. And, and I saw a couple of people online say, how did they capture them? Who cares? <laughs> they did, and it's terrifying. You know, they're, they're more evil. of the like, I'm going to take away airbending from the entire planet mm-hmm. right now. And that is every time I see them in trouble, my heart just sinks. Yeah, I, I yeah. feel like that would have been, maybe if they had explained a little more about that, or if we saw... That scene, that scene where Ma- where um, Amon's crew takes them, that would have been a little more effective. But I don't know. There was something to that surprise too of seeing them all there. Yeah, I can't think of a place where they could have put it in this episode where I would have mm-hmm. felt like it was you know in place. Or it's like mm-hmm. while Tarlock's telling his backstory. Meanwhile, right. Um, <laughs> anyway, no I want to. We're kind of going chronologically, so I don't want to skip over the fact that Naga gets to be awesome finally. Oh my god. <laughs> After so much Naga awesomeness of like Naga doing basically nothing. Her past two episodes have been fantastic. They had they had an Avengers. We have a Hulk moment in mm-hmm. that scene. We have a Naga. Yeah, and of course they don't need metal bending because they have Naga's jaws. They just Which kick is so much butt. Pretty sweet. What else am, am I missing in this? In like little side. And then the Iro fight scene in the sky mm-hmm. was amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. I again like Iro has kind of been a. How did you end up in this show? kind of character for me um but i every time he's on screen he's doing something crazy and i love it and i love that he burns away amon's mask on the ang statue i think when that's a great cinematic moment on the ang statue? that's my question <laughs> they got five uh you know five equalists interns <laughs> yeah, equalist interns were hired to put the mask on ang statue they also fixed slash redesigned the arena so it's like things have been yeah. going pretty well while they've been waiting around for this holocaust <laughs> they might be destroying republic city but they're going to do it with style okay mm-hmm. that's right um and then of course as the episode wraps up we see the big amon fight he does something ludicrous which is uh water bends himself out of the ocean after he's airbended out of the building. Um, I have no well, they idea. Well, have that weird part where the makeup comes off his face, which I'm right. glad somebody in the crowd is like, it's just makeup, because I'm like, what just <laughs> happened? Uh, but then, Dave, the, the moment that made your mind explode last oh, week. Oh, the boat? The boat. The boat. I'm on a boat? <laughs> that made your mind explode. I, yeah. Because finally... Someone dies. <laughs> well, and then Maybe. not only does someone die, but it's like, does he know that his brother's about to kill him? Because he gets just a silent tear. I, I think he does. You see that the, that tear. It's sort of like, uh, what's that movie? The 25th Hour, right? Where it's sort of yeah, wistful, yeah. sort of at the end. It's like, oh, man, we, we could just escape. We could do this, and you can live your life, and we'll be happy. And he's just saying this, but he knows it's never going to happen. So, yeah, and then Tarlock says something like, it'll be just like old times, mm-hmm. and you go to it. You go to Noah talk, and he sheds a single tear, and then zip, 
and then yep. it gets a, it gets a mushroom cloud. What sort of fuel are they using? <laughs> I actually had that thought after my flashlight questions uh, last you're, week. You're like, wait a minute, both they have fuel. fuel. Hmm. I think they have gasoline or some sort of equivalent. They must if they're flying yeah. planes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a S- silly thing to get hung up on. It was a highly dramatic <laughs> moment. and It uh, was, I lost my poop on Twitter just because <laughs> everybody's like, no one can die. And yeah, so Bolin didn't die, but our two antagonists blew themselves up. And I, I got the vibe that some people were unsatisfied with the quote-unquote unanswered questions, and maybe we'll tackle this next week. But um, mm-hmm. I was completely satisfied with like, who Amon is, why he's doing this, and how he's now blown off the face of the planet. Like, it kind of all got wrapped up perfectly for me. I mean, maybe there are some lingering questions about his motives, but I think his motives were grand. And I think his... And he's a grand character, so he can kind of be battled in this this very emotion-first struggle, as opposed to, like, a big fight scene or an epic battle, a la the end of Avatar The Last Airbender, Mm -hmm. and then he can go off on an emotional cue, and I really appreciate that from Brian and Michael, like, no, Amon isn't defeated by Korra, Amon is defeated by the person he hurt the most, Tarlock, and Mm -hmm. I think that's great. Well, technically, he was defeated by Korra, and then he just ran away, right? And this is just the capping off his story. But, uh, yeah, I, I do hope we get some exploration of what Amon was going through and kind of what led him up to that whole beginning of, of uh, starting the Equalist. Becoming Amon. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. if nothing else, we're definitely living in a time where bending has gotten much more powerful and specialized. Because it's like, basically, we had a you know strong bloodbender go up against the Avatar and essentially win. Like, he took away her bending and left her with only air bending and if it wasn't for the avatar state that's a, that's a pretty big win for just a random everyday bender like <laughs> train train hard enough you could kill the avatar and you grow up son like that we're living in that world now yeah it's craziness yeah. that's definitely interesting honestly they could do a sort of darth vader thing too with him like we're gonna we're i i hope we see the prequels at some point hmm. to what led him on to put on that mask and that'll be like the final you are now asking for prequels. I want in the wake prequels. of Star Wars prequels. Oh, prequels can be good. <laughs> yeah, well, something in between the promise and legend. Right, exactly. Now, now I'm hoping that they invent some sort of bending cerebro, a la X Men, and they go find like exceptional benders in the world. Ah. I, I think the yeah, the the X Men comparisons they can only go so far. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. My imagination. I would, I would is rather see straight one to one. Batman conversions. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, hey, let's just do the long Halloween, but make the gang the Agni Kais instead of the Falcones. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I seriously really? think that would work. <laughs> I mean, that, like, that would be a little too much for uh, for kids TV, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there are certain Batman lines. You could, you, No Man's Land, you know, shut off for Public City and leave Core. I mean, that is the Arkham Asylum games, but, like, that right. used to be a whole, a whole storyline. I think you could, yes. I, I said I, I want like, the Bayfong video game. That's really where I'm going. I would like I would like there to be more worlds in the future, but mm. um, I would also be okay if they just stuck with the attitude they've they've laid down. I mean, it's interesting well, for being called the Legend of Korra. Not a lot happened to Korra over these ten episodes. It was more about <laughs> you know where the city's been and what the role of the Avatar is. Mm-hmm. Well, the Legend but, of Korra will continue in book two. Yeah, you see, um, I feel like she oh. she has made herself invaluable now like as the person who is going to save 
all these people who had their bending and take away by Amon. These are all people who are going to follow her, I guess, you know, till she dies. Those are sort of loyal fans now of her. And her usefulness at Republic City is going to be well known at this point. Hmm. You always remember your first avatar. There you go. There you go. Like your first doctor. Well, exactly. It's interesting that we're talking about book two because I think that the last few scenes of this, of Endgame, really um, raised some questions for me about what book two will be. Or as in, I have absolutely no idea. Um, Because I really saw it perhaps being about her trying to get her bending back, especially after Amon takes her bending away. I was very surprised how quickly you know, okay, Aang's here, and now he's going to restore her bending. And kind of to wrap up, just to talk about this final sequence, you know, I mentioned earlier in the episode about an amputee coming back from war. Um, That sounds really deep, but I think that, you know, an amputee comes back, and he doesn't get his legs back. You know, he has this permanent stamp on him from a time of war. And as much as I it, that sequence really hit me um, to see her crying and to see the tear go over the edge um, and her to be at her truest, lowest point and then to have, be revitalized by the spirit she's finally in touch, that stuff hit me hard. Um, but I, looking back at it now, I wonder if it's as truthful and honest as it, as it should have been. Does it mm-hmm. feel a little false to see her ha- be scarred by this battle she's been in and then to have it magically uh, put back together for her? Yeah. It's this is the problem with us all this happening so quickly, right? We don't have enough time to drink in the world with Korra that doesn't have the other powers and does have airbending, and she doesn't have enough time to react to that too. And by the time it's all fixed, it feels like there was there was no huge dramatic, I don't know, impact to that whole little plot line. I actually yeah. thought we were going to end the season, and she would have never, you know, she didn't get her powers back. All she had was airbending. And yeah, maybe one of the last things we see is Aang, and then cut to season two. Right, it's time yeah. for your journey back to being the Avatar. Exactly, sort of and that I, I thought I was waiting for that. I wanted it to kind of end on that note. And this way, like with her getting all the bending back, and with her fixing, clearly she's going to be able to fix all the people that Amon took away bending from. Like it, it seems a little too neatly wrapped up. Yeah, I mean. Uh... I wanted to bring up something that's been being discussed in the fan sphere about if Cora was planning to commit suicide when she walked up the edge of the cliff, right? Which I think is ridiculous. <laughs> well, yeah. um, it's inter- it's a very interesting theory. It's very heady, and you know, you people want that scene to be that serious. You know, you want to yeah. project and say that this it's as mature as it is. I don't think so. I rewatched it again before we chatted, and. Um, I think that here, because that's a very deliberate scene. I definitely mm-hmm. picked up on it the first time, like, what is happening? Why are we seeing this tear glimmer for a second and then hit the ground? I think that's just the embodiment of her lowest point. Yeah. That they really kind of drive home. But I don't think that she would, I don't think that's an indication that she's hanging over the edge about to throw herself off. Yeah, that's also, that doesn't add anything to the conversation. So this is what I kind of, what kind of annoys me about fan conversations sometimes. It's like, Let's read anything into this. It's like the right. crazy Amon theories that we've been hearing. It's like, why do? Let's talk about the things that'll add more to the series and to the text instead of like having these aside conversations, which are really just kind of distracting. And yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like I wouldn't learn anything about that conversation. Well, it's hard because yeah. you want it to be as important as it mm-hmm. is, and sometimes we want 
every swelling emotion to be the biggest, craziest thing that could happen. Mm-hmm. Like, Cora is having a devastating moment. She's at her worst. It's the worst moment in her life. She's lost her bending. Um, that's a very intimate thing, and it plays out in a small way in this episode. For people who want it to be bigger, it has to be, she's about to commit suicide! Oh yeah. my god! Um, but it doesn't have to be that, and I think sometimes mm-hmm. our own we like our own yearning for it to be the biggest dramatic arc kind of gets in the way of some small, beautiful animation mm-hmm. that is present in the in the text, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> it's like the Mako Asami scene. It's like, there's something beautiful and kind of quiet about that. And if you're expecting the big, like, relationship right. blow up you're kind of you're you're missing out on what it has to offer i also love that cora's i love you too d- comes after like this big bad scene <laughs> um i i am unlike huh yeah she should have said i know <laughs> uh, yeah, well, but that was like 15 minutes later um, <laughs> i know you know what what do you what oh, oh i'm confused okay what, cool. oh call cool. back cool. Guy did yeah it. yeah uh, <laughs> oh wait we're not getting married all right but it i I am a fan of the Mako Cora relationship. Like I've always liked that stuff, and I found it very fulfilling. I know a lot of people haven't, but in, in a way to treat it, I'm glad that she got an "I love you too," and they had a real connection because it's young love, man. I love seeing people in love. It is young love. Although now that that whole relationship is finalized, I'm kind of I'm kind of shifting my death watch from Boleyn to Mako now, because <laughs> in season two she really has something to lose now. Oh so, man! We'll see how it goes. Then it'll be yeah. real. That'll be the Dark Knight. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. Rachel dying all over again. Well, like, yeah, let's just do it. Dark Knight based on the Long Halloween that I just recommended. Yes. Uh, Dave, um, did you have thoughts about this final sequence about Cora getting her bending back? How Cora got her bending back? How Cora got her bending back? In ten back. minutes. <laughs> yeah, I mean it was a little rushed, but I can't think of a way that I would have rather done it. Like. uh if we spend more time, then we don't get something awesome early on in the season and early on in the episode. And if you shove it all off into season two, then I'm waiting around for a year with no period on the end of my sentence. Mm-hmm. So I understand that it's fast, but it's more like, here are your ten episodes. If you liked it, like they think that we do, we're going to get more. Yeah. And so I can't say that, you know... I can't think of another way they could have done it that would be more satisfying, so I'm going to let it just be satisfying the way it is. The way these two episodes kind of went down, like, I kind of wish there was another episode. I wish this was a movie-length kind of end-cap story, because there's a lot to go on here, and it would have been nice to have more time with Korra dealing with losing her powers and a little more time in the Amon story. It just feels like squishing that all into two episodes um, felt more rushed than anything else in this series. And we've talked about how yeah. the rushed storytelling has kind of affected Korra. I, I would, I totally agree with you. I love that this 12-episode um, arc is completely self-contained. Mm-hmm. Everything gets wrapped up. There's no cliffhangers. There's no, you know, uh, Emily over at AV Club said something great. We got an Empire Strikes Back moment and a Star Wars moment. In the same like in the same episode, which is yeah. kind of amazing. That's a card you barely play, and it works. Um, but I agree with you that I would have loved like let's rebuild Republic City in the final episode and really kind of deal with the fact that she has no bending. You know that moment where oh god, I'm going back to X Men. You know in X Men, the Last <laughs> Stand, nonetheless, um, Magneto loses his powers and he's sitting there and he's trying to make things work and they don't. And then you know there's this time that passes and he starts to resurface it or something. Maybe that kind of moment. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, dealing with it—that's so, so it, important. That we we've we've compared losing your bending to dying, 
dying. So wait, it's like Lynn raises all the rocks and everyone's like, yay, everyone. And then a faceless <laughs> baboon like jumps in and is like, Ko is here. And then it cuts to black. <laughs> oh, God. How, how it should never have ended. Thank God. Indeed. Um, I, I wish we, like that scene with Korra and Aang, I felt that should have been the cut to black. Um, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. But, but Davindra, you did get to see Beifong get her powers back. I did. So that must yeah. be a little promising for you. For sure, for sure. I was, uh, yeah, I was probably a little more sad about that than Korra losing her powers. <laughs> you are just, such a big fan. Cut from when she opens her eyes and their eyes are glowing, and that's where you could end your DVDs. Exactly. Exactly. Isn't that where season one ended? I forget. Actually, that's where the uh, the Shyamalan movie ended. <laughs> <laughs> Get out. No. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, when is he going to do his Korra adaptation? Let's I'm <laughs> not let's not even open that Pandora's box. He's totally on Twitter and just talking to people about his new uh, what Jaden Smith movie. He's got so other we should be like, yeah, what do you think of Korra, dude? Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, hey, you you should do Korra. You guys, <laughs> you guys are stirring the pot. Um, any more thoughts on the finale of Book One Air? Um, I think we should do this fan question really fast. Do it. Uh, this is from Love Waffle on our Talk Bass post. Who says a few weeks ago one of you I can't remember which said that if Amon was Yukon, there was a if Amon was Yukon, <laughs> there was a missed moment between him and Tarlock and out of the past since Amon is Tarlock's brother. Do you, whichever one of you had said that, still feel like there was a moment missed between them? And if so, does that brief scene on the boat make up for it? I forget who brought that up, but it's clear that Yukon or sorry Tarlock didn't know that Amon was his brother until he had the bending taken away. Yeah, yeah. So that kind of explains the blood bending grip. But I mean, it, I think that yes, the moment on the boat makes up for there not being a moment before. But there couldn't have been a moment before because yeah. we didn't have enough information. It would have felt yeah. weird if it was like, oh, weird. Tarlock and Amon recognize each other. That would have been tipping their hand a little bit. I think. <laughs> I know you always love those Japanese no masks. So. Yeah. <laughs> no, Noah talk. <laughs> Is that you? It's me, Tarlock, your brother. You're trying to take. I'm trying to take over a public city. Uh, I do not think that would have worked. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, when you torture your kids, one becomes a fascist and one becomes a communist, and never the twain <laughs> shall meet. Indeed. Uh, so that I think wraps up our podcasting on book one of the Legend of Korra. Um, I'd say overall season success. Would you guys agree with that? Uh, oh, for sure. A yeah. great, yeah. I, something I'm looking forward to revisiting now that I have all the episodes collected on yeah. my iTunes and such. Give me the Blu-rays now, but yes, I will probably just rewatch the HD stuff on my DVR soon. Too. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was great stuff. <laughs> and thanks everyone for contributing. Uh, Dave, what is our plan for next week? I think that we're going to tackle some f- fan reactions directly. Yeah, we spent a lot of time talking about what we thought about the episode, because it's our podcast, but we love you guys, too, so we're going to ask for your opinions on the Skeletons in the Closet endgame reactions. Uh, If you could get us at uh, RepublicCityDispatch.com on the Ask button, or on Twitter, or via email at D-A-7-E period G-O-N-Z-A-L-E-S at gmail.com. That's Dave with the 7 dot Gonzalez at gmail.com. Include a reaction finale something so that I know that's what it's for. We're going to grab a whole bunch of those together and yeah. make them into a big what everyone thought about Cora <laughs> podcast. As, then- much, uh, as much as I love the um, GIF reactions to the finale i'm much more interested in people's written thoughts so yes we would like to take some time with that and then i think also 
in a few weeks. I think uh, Patches was around when I got the okay from my editor to say that I will be at the Legend of Korra panel at Comic-Con this year. I hope to Ooh, as nice. well be. So, yeah, we'll oh, be good, floating good around luck. Comic-Con. Good luck. That Last year, that was, uh, I think the th- it was a three or four hour line. They're in a bigger room this year, though. So okay. that's a pr- that's promising. That's, that's a good we also have press badges, so maybe we'll muscle uh, our way yeah, in. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fair. But yeah, uh, we'll come, both come be at Comic Con. Yeah, we'll be. I'll, I will not be cosplaying, unfortunately. But I will be wearing a backpack like a dork, yeah, uh, running we don't know around. We'll be cosplaying. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> uh, well, that about wraps up the finale podcast. So why don't we sign ourselves off here, Davindra? Sure. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Davindra. I uh, podcast about movies and TV at slash film.com. I write about technology at venturebeat.com, and everything else I do is at davindra.org. Dave? Hi, it's me, Dave with a 7. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash DA7E on my weekly podcast about movies and pop culture that I do with Patches and two other fantastic people at opkino.com. That's Operation Kino on iTunes and writing about movies at latino-review.com. And I'm Matt Patches. I'm the movies editor of Hollywood.com, where I do all my writing. I do Operation Kino with Dave, uh, an excellent podcast. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R Patches, P-A-T-C-H-E-S, or on Tumblr at MattPatches.com. And that about to wrap things up, so we will actually see you next week.